the Greyhound to the county line She's reading Marx and Lenin all the time She says, Jesus freak, you're such a fool I say, Satan loves you, thinks you're cool She's a socialist of the highest degree I'm a communist, her mother hates me You're an anarchist, you don't want anything from me I'm a Satanist, at least that's what I think I might Okay, so after another accidental long hiatus, we're back I didn't have a laptop for a while, it was a mess Anyway That's Vix That's Asher and this, this is, is Speak of the Devil. That'll be loud. Yeah, um, we get very enthusiastic about the devil around here. Um, anyway, we're really delighted to be back, and we have an exciting episode planned. Yes. Um, after a brief but very exciting announcement. Yes. So you know how we've been saying that we are the official podcast of Church of the Morning Star? Yep. Church of the Morning Star is now a real thing. Yes. That has monthly masses in San Francisco. We're not going to tell you where yet because uh, we're a satanic church and we would uh, kind of like to not be vandalized and trolled to death. Yep. But if you email us at morningstarcongregation at gmail.com you can ask us about that. Yep, and expect to be vetted a little bit, but, um, you know, just to make sure that you're not mean Yep. or Nazi. But, uh, yeah. I feel like mean, like Nazi... Mean and Nazi overlaps a lot. Yeah, I feel like there's a big circle of mean and then there's a circle in the cen- in the middle of that, which is Nazi. Yeah, it just like in the very heart of mean. Is Nazi, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you got... Our point. Yep. Um, we are actually quite, quite welcoming, but we just want to protect our beautiful, small, vital, enthusiastic congregation who we love so much. They're so good. <sighs> Everyone is so good and so smart and like so excited to do the work of building a yeah. wonderful community. Like we're, we're trying to make this a very non-hierarchical organization, which means that people need to, you know, really step up and pitch in to make it work. And that's happening. Um, you know, essentially, a, yeah. our vision kind of calls for everyone to be leaders in a way. Yep. And to take on what roles work for them. Yeah. And for decisions to be made collectively Mm -hmm. and for no one to you know be seen as an infallible authority or anything like that exactly including lucifer himself yep because he doesn't like that shit either nope he does really not into that yeah um but yeah i mean i'm i'm sorry i'm i am so full of love right now so beautiful i mean we have you know, our first mass was incredibly moving. We had several people perform, you know, ritual. We And just people 
we felt, you know, this immense, beautiful spiritual connection with people and we're so honored that they felt that with us. Yeah. Um, we had about 15 people at our first service ever. And accidentally locked two out. Yeah, we need, we're going to have a better door policy next time. <laughs> we, we kind of, um, thought like, okay, well, that's probably about all the people who are going to show up. We're lucky to have this many and, uh, locked the doors and started the service. And then I found texts later from two other people who wanted to get in, but couldn't. So I feel really bad. Um, but also, you know, yeah, those are good numbers for the, a first service. Uh, yeah. Um, that's a very respectable. Yeah. I mean, you can build a lot of fucking energy yep. with that many people it was lovely yeah um and so i'm just gonna kind of like segue this into our topic of the day yes because um you know we're both trans and yep. um we didn't intend or plan for our congregation i mean we wanted it to be very inclusive <sighs> But we, we didn't mean for it to end up about 90% trans, which is what it is right now. Um, well, and yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. We have no problem with that. Um, I hope that cis people feel welcome as well. And I think that the few that we do have feel very welcome yes. and very happy to be there. But um, it is an overwhelmingly trans congregation. Yep. We did a little pronoun circle at the beginning and it was almost all vase. Yeah, no, we're a majority <laughs> non-binary congregation. Well, yeah. Um, um, we're both binary, but, you know. Yeah. Um, hilariously, I think people think that we don't look binary, but we're both, both men. men. Yeah. <laughs> Very feminine men, but even so. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, I think that there are um actually theological reasons for that demographic um yeah and also like many sociological reasons um satanism is really having a moment right now yep um along with paganism witchcraft in general yep um we're seeing lots and lots of millennials wanting some kind of spirituality but not being a big fan of conventional religions for the most part. Yep. Um, and I think one of the lovely things about millennials is they're not like Gen Xers in their spirituality. They don't as much want the totally individual, totally like, fuck everyone else. I'm going to do this by myself. They want community. Yeah, they want to come together. And, and it's yeah, it's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're both so sappy about this right now. I know it's, I'm, but it's it's meaningful to us, and it's important. And I just, I think, I hope that we're doing something that will be good for people and good for the world. Yes. Um. So our topic for today uh, is actually. The divine androgene and the infernal androgene. Yep. Um, I've, I'm also, I'm at seminary now, as I might have mentioned, which is also a huge deal. Yep. And it's uh, kind of hilarious to be attempting to plant a church while still in your first semester of seminary. But, you know, <clears throat> be that as it may, 
I'm taking a course on Western esoteric traditions, yep. known as WET class, which we all think is very funny. Um, <laughs> and one thing that is a through line in really all of those traditions, and actually not even just Western esoteric traditions, yeah. the figure of the divine androgene is global. Yes. I've recently been looking at it mainly in a Western esoteric context, which is the context i'm going to talk about here because mm -hmm. that's what i know about at the moment mm -hmm. um but yeah this idea of the divine as both male and female is in everything um mm -hmm. it's in hermeticism it's in neoplatonism to an extent it's definitely in kabbalah it's all over alchemy yep. um and it just it keeps on going and going and going yes um but i i've noticed uh some differences between the androgynous divine and the androgynous infernal yes because i think as we've talked about on this podcast before there's all kind of genders going on with all of the demons yep i mean you've got lucifer as the castrated Samael, you've got Aisheth Zenunim, the wife of Harlotry, who has a blind serpent called Tananiver that uh, Samael rides on. And that's very clearly, like, it says in the text that's how they fuck. It's, in case you're not getting this, a, a blind serpent is a, a penis. Yep. Um, Lilith, of course all kinds of genders the other yep. consorts too uh king payman is described as having a woman's face yeah there's just and of course baphomet yep you know to be super obvious yep uh demons have the genders yep but that infernal divine is different that infernal androgyny yeah that infernal androgynous divine is different um, from the divine androgene. And I first noticed this while I was reading two different texts mm -hmm. um, from the Hermetic tradition in my class. Mm -hmm. And the first one um, that I'm going to read a quote from is uh, to Asclepius. Uh -huh. And I'm just going to read this few paragraphs. The name of God is Father, again, because he is the that which maketh all. The part of father is to make, wherefore child-making is a very great and most pious thing in life for them who think aright, and to leave life on earth without a child is a very great misfortune and impiety, and he who hath no child is published by the daemons after death. And this is the punishment, that the man's soul who hath no child shall be condemned unto a body with neither man's nor woman's nature, a thing accursed beneath the sun. Wherefore, Asclepius, let not your sympathies be with the man who hath no child, but rather pity his mishap, knowing what punishment abides for him. So, that's an androgyny that's, you know, being described as a thing accursed beneath the sun. Yep. But then, in um, Poimandres, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. I believe. I think I am. Yep. More or less. Um, it talks constantly about how... Uh, god is male and female both so um 
you know, for example, and God the mind, being male and female both, as light and life subsisting, brought forth mother another mind to give things form. You know, it's it just, it's constantly throughout that text, throughout Poimandres, it's God as male and female both. Mm -hmm. And these are both texts attributed to uh, Hermes Trismegistus. Yep. Which is, you know, an interesting name. Yes. That, you know, a lot of texts probably by different people are attributed to. Yes. Um, so I'm sitting here going, okay, like, is androgyny good or bad? And then I noticed the difference between neither in the first yes. passage and both in the second. And the emphasis on being neither male or female being a condition of not reproducing, of not creating. Yes. And being both male and female is associated yes. with being able to create everything. Yes. And what's interesting, it also reminds me of the theological difference between creation and begetting. Yes. Um, because, like, in the Trinity, Christ is what God the Father begats, mm -hmm. and that makes him something different from what would they would term a creature meaning a creation mm -hmm. because what you begat is not what you create and so i was thinking sort of the begat begat is past tense yes sorry baguette <laughs> anyway what i was thinking was that um so sorry which one is past tense again begat and okay. begets so the begetting Mm -hmm. is a process that typically mm -hmm. involves two people mm -hmm. um, and is sort of this in that there are two beings involves an element of chaos and creates something that belongs to neither parent. Mm -hmm. Whereas a creation and this idea of sort of God as male and female both means that God has complete control over the process mm -hmm. and thus is seen as possessing yes. what is created in a way. And I mm -hmm. think that that's important. Yes, absolutely. Begotten, not made is definitely, I mean, that's in the Nicene Creed. It's yeah. a big deal to a lot of Christians. Yes. Um, and I definitely, I think one thing about the divine androgyny yes. is that it allows for a kind of asexual reproduction. Yes. Uh, parthenogenesis. Yes. That God can produce everything sort of within himself. Yeah. They always say him, even though it's an androgyne. Um, yeah. And when that... <clears throat> so there's, you know, a lot of divine androgyny in you know, original Jewish Kabbalah. Yeah. And I think when it gets into Christian Kabbalah, which is a thing that's pretty, eh, um, it kind of relates to the Immaculate Conception. Yes. And the Although, idea... I think you mean, because um, the Immaculate Conception is the conception of Mary without sin. Oh, okay. Uh, so, like, the conceiving of Christ. I can't remember the technical term. Oh, right. Well, thank you for correcting me on that. A lot of people make that mistake. Yep. Um, but yeah, for, you know, Mary being able to conceive while still being a virgin. Yes. Um, because sex is bad. Yeah. And 
the sex is bad thing is really such a Christian thing. It is. Like, Jews, there are a lot of sexual taboos, but sex itself was, you know... Good and good. important. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to happen in, like, certain ways. But I think that the Christian sex negativity comes out of the apocalyptic nature of early Christianity. Yep. And the idea that the the end times are going to be, you know, in our lifetime. Any minute now. Any minute now. Why would you have a kid? Yep. Um, why would you bring a child into this world of sin that's about to be destroyed? Yep. Um, so there's a lot of ambivalence um, yes. in early Christianity towards sex and even towards marriage. Yep. And... <laughs> Who is it who's like, well, if you have to have sex, you should get married. Paul, but, I believe. Yeah, it's probably Paul. It sounds like Paul. Why is everything Paul? Because um, he's like the theological foundation of the yeah, Christianity that, okay. that exists. I know. That was a rhetorical Sorry. question. Um, so, yeah, I think that, like, in Jewish Kabbalah, there's kind of this idea of, like, the divine masculine and the divine feminine being, like, forever, like, locked together in this, like, wonderful, ecstatic, intimate embrace. Yep. And, um, you know, that's a lot less of this obsession with, like... Parthenogenesis. Yeah. And... Um, sorry, go ahead. And, of course, begat versus create. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about the divine androgene in this podcast, we're mostly critiquing the Christian divine mm -hmm. androgene. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of versions of that all over the world. Yep. Now, on the other hand, the infernal androgynous is either like sterile or it's reproducing in weird, perverted ways. Yep. Or it's, you know, also having a lot of sex that's not geared toward reproduction. Yep. So, exam for example, you have Lilith, who's kind of both sterile and... and hyperfertile. Yeah, super fecund. Yep. Um, it, sorry. sorry, I was about to say, it also mirrors demonization of, like, working class people yes. a lot. And, um... Yeah. I may edit this out because I'm not sure if it's staying in my lane or not, but... Uh, POC too. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I, I think that it's I think that's in your lane. I think it's fine to acknowledge that hypersexuality is a stereotype about POC. And um Lilith, you know, has this affinity with both like I mean, hers is a story of forced sterilization. Yes, it is. And I think it's uh would actually be weird to not mention the yeah. racist history of that when talking yep. about Lilith. Racist, classist, yeah, ableist. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, because what happens is Lilith, basically, it's not exactly that she's sterile. In fact, she has, like, thousands and thousands of demon babies every day, but also thousands and thousands of them die every day. Yeah. And that's her punishment, which is, like, incredibly sadistic yep um and there's also these ideas that um if a man has a nocturnal emission or he commits the sin of onan yep. aka spilling your seed outside of a yep. vagina um all that semen is turning into lilith babies 
Yep. Like you're basically fertilizing Lilith and other succubi when you do any of that. Yep. Um, which I think is really interesting. And then, of course, we have, you know, Samael, who has been castrated in some versions. But then, of course, Satan is often viewed as very potent and hypersexual. Yep. Although in the Middle Ages, in the uh, witchcraft um, trial materials, he's often described as having a very small, cold, and flaccid penis. Yep. Which somehow still hurts to be penetrated with. Yep. Though also, of course, there would there's also the massive one. Yeah, so. it's like with Satan's wing wang, it's either like massive and like yep. made out of steel, or it's like yep. teeny tiny and, and flaccid, or just like not there. Yep, and it can also <laughs> be like incredibly hot or incredibly cold. Yeah, um, so it's extremes in this infernal yeah. androgyny and this infernal sexuality. Yep. It's both, like, very, 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 like, hyper-fecund and it's sterile. Um, we also, we've talked about the really interesting situation where the cliffa of Lilith and Nama are united to produce Agrat. Yep. So, essentially, Agrat has two moms. Yep. But also, um, the Cliffa of Lilith, Galamiel, is in the same position as the Sephira of Yasod, which yep. is the Sephira that's basically the dick of the body of God. Yep. Or the body of Adam Cadmon. That's true. Yeah. Um, I'm oversimplifying yeah. a little Sorry. bit because we'll we'll have cobla episodes but multiple we will have so many um yes i wasn't assuming that anyone necessarily knew what adam cadmon yeah. was um okay so anyway lilith is equivalent to the dick of god so lilith is kind of the dick of the infernal yep and then nama's cliffa um Nahimith, is the equivalent of Malkuth, which is the kingdom, but it's also known as the bride. So, so... Agrat has two mommies, but it also seems pretty clear, like, that one of them had a penis and got the other one pregnant, maybe? Yep. Although, who really knows how the fuck that worked. Because but... also, like, produced by Cliffa. Yeah, which are realms yes. more than individuals. Yep. It, we'll talk about the cliff hut later. Yep. It's a big deal. And I think that we need to have Mir back for a Kabbalah uh, episode before we even try to get into yeah. cliff hut. Yes, I think that's a very yeah. good idea. <clears throat> but point is, Agrat Batmalat has two mommies. Yes. So there's another example of this. And, and one of her mommies has a penis. Yep. At least one of her mommies has a penis. Yep. <laughs> so there's another example of, you know, infernal androgyny yep. and reproduction. Um, Which I think is worth noting is never parthenogenic. Oh, wait a minute. Yep. I mean, it's not exactly parthenogenesis the way that Lucifer and Aisheth come into being. It's mm-hmm. almost more like an amoeba. Yes. Reproducing by splitting. Yes. Okay. Good point. Yeah, I don't think parthenogenesis is really something that, um, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, because when a creature splits itself in two, mm-hmm. that's not the same as like creating something yeah. out of nothing. Although it's it's definitely very interesting. In a yes. sense, Lucifer gives birth to Aisheth and yeah. or vice versa. Yes. So that's cool. Well, yes, I was thinking actually today about this subject in the shower and I was thinking about how in a certain way in the legend they may be the first entities like begotten and not of god mm. and so they're the first things that are begotten not made yes exactly yeah. and they're begotten of each other so they have kind of absolute independence yeah no no creator in a way yeah because yeah they split from something that was created but it's mm-hmm. not yeah yeah um or maybe was created who knows and also maybe that division of the darkness from the light of lucifer from aisheth my gnosis right now is that's kind of the big bang yep so they might have kind of made everything else too yep which is pretty rad if that's how it worked but you know i'm not wedded to that idea in some ways i I almost kind of don't like having a satanic creation myth. Yep. Because everyone's got their creation myth and everyone thinks that their god made the thing, you know? Yep. But yeah. it's an arresting idea. Um, yep. Especially as I read more and more uh, Western esotericism and there's all of these stories of, like, the principles of light and darkness being split apart and creating this yeah big explosion that makes everything. Yep kind of cool that big bang theory was around long before yeah yeah before the actual theory and before shitty tv shows (laughs) um yes long before shitty tv shows yeah um yeah um an example of that would be the work of Jakob burma Mm -hmm. which sounds a bit like burma but it's actually spelled b o with an umlaut h m e because German pronunciation is a fuck. Nice. (laughs) Just as a side note for an example of one of those types of big bangy creation legends from uh, the Baroque period in that case. Yes, yes. And I think that, yeah, one of the things about sort of the divine androgyne is it's designed to create this sort of creature independent of other creatures mm-hmm. um not to use creature in the creek eh, god damn it but this an be- uncreated yeah and a being independent of other beings that needs nothing else yeah in fact a being that is the ground of all being and yes controls everything and that's creepy as fuck <sighs> and i feel like one of the things about sort of the very hetero mm-hmm. nature of the sort of idea of the divine androgyne yeah. is that it has this sort of well if they're going to be if we're going to need two to make something like make it this like neat division that is the way it's quote-unquote supposed to be yeah well exactly i was just thinking about this before we did the podcast is the divine androgyne is essentially all about heterosexual procreative coupling yes and about this idea of like two becoming one and um yep 
you know, are we just going to call this episode The Origin of Love? Maybe. We probably should. Yep. Last time I saw you, we just split in two. Anyway, um, uh, no musical numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I think one of the things about the infernal androgene is it's like, I'm not wholly male. I'm not wholly female. Um, like, I'm... If I am going to reproduce, like, it's not going to be parthenogenically. Yeah, we're gonna fuck. Yeah. And it's gonna be weird. Yep, and the also, I think the one of the things that's lovely about the infernal androgene is it's kind of, it's often fertile in the face of attempted sterilization. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean fertile in the terms of, like, bearing children, because I don't think... It's not the only kind of creation. No, yeah. or I mean, the only t- t- or the only kind of like begetting anything out of sex or mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that one of the things that's beautiful about the infernal androgene and also like the um, sort of um, the yeah the idea of this, it's not well. It also doesn't make partners a unit Mm. which i mean like if you look at the history of making partners a unit it's typically a way to like be like okay like the woman no longer exists legally yeah if you look at like you know marriage laws in a lot of in like england historically and so on yeah and that that's very much the thing because the divine androgene only exists esoterically and exoterically it's the father exactly and so essentially it's like well the male has managed to subsume the female Mm -hmm. and so that the male in a way doesn't really need those pesky females in order to create yep exactly (laughs) yeah um which you know that's a thing (laughs) yep uh yeah. Have I told you my mm-hmm. possibly problematic theory on why society is so obsessed with sterilizing trans women? Yeah, you have, but tell I, I like this theory. Okay, actually. so my theory is that society is afraid of trans women being fertile because they're afraid that it would lead to the possibility of reproduction without patriarchy or without patriarchal domination. And the idea of that even being a possibility is terrifying. Yeah, because a trans woman could impregnate a cis woman or a trans man. Yep, and then suddenly you're making babies and, like, no one's, like, patriarchying anyone. And that's <laughs> scary, isn't it? Yep. And also, cough. Yep. Lilith and Nama. Yep. Cough. Yep. <laughs> yeah, um... Absolutely. Um, I was just thinking also of the um, the theory that the incubus and the succubus are the same creature. Yep. As a really, really good example of um, yeah. sterile yet fecund. Yep. Because basically in that theory, the way it works is that... Depending on your medieval theologian. Well, that's why I said theory. Yes. Okay. Sorry. The idea is that they don't 
produce any sperm of their own. So what has to happen is the form of a succubus must be assumed so that they can steal the seed of a human man. And actually, um, Sinistrari devoted a lot of pages to, like, would they be able to keep the semen at the right temperature for it to not die, which is really funny. But so the succubus retains the semen, turns into an incubus, and then is able to transfer that human semen that has been stolen into a human female. So it's a workaround for that sterility via this infernal androgyny. Yep. And, yeah, it's, I mean, amusing side note. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of funny because Sinistrari talks about being worried about keeping it warm enough to keep it alive. When, of course, in modernity, we know that if you want to keep sperm living... It needs to be kind of cold. Yep. Yeah. And demons are said to be cold, so I'm just saying. That's why demon jizz is cold. Yep. It's because it's... uh chilled human jizz yep (laughs) of course there's also a lot of association between demons and uh sexual acts that are non-reproductive yep i think we've or at least non-childbearing reproductive well yes good good distinction yes um you know for example there's um we've talked before about satan's alleged predilection for having his salad tossed yep in a lot of witch hunting texts and in a sense that is um sort of reproductive because that's part of the initiation of the witches which is a spiritual death and rebirth yep so yeah good good point there yep um there's also a lot of association of demons with sodomy and yep you know just about you know butt stuff yep butt stuff and oral yep yep a lot of uh old witch hunting stuff have accounts of men going down on succubi and finding them upsetting tasting which i think is really (laughs) funny it just goes to show that heterosexual men have been scared of pussy for a long time so scared um But also scared of dick. Yeah. They're scared of everything. What must it be like to be a cis-hetero man? Like, you're just terrified of genitalia. Yep. Your own, everyone else's. You're just running around like, ah. And you're also really horny as well, typically. Yeah, no, it's a terrifying prospect. Um, But yeah, you know, I think that one of the things about sex is, in a way... When it's not the subsumption of one partner by another, Mm. um, it is, I think, in many ways, to get a little sappy, Mm -hmm. um, a mirror of the moment in which Lucifer and Aisheth looked upon one another Mm -hmm. and loved something that was not God. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And begat a revolution. Exactly. After begetting each other. Exactly. Aisheth was born pregnant with rebellion. Yeah. Um, Also, if you read the uh, sort of the Milton version Mm -hmm. of the story, which I don't know if Milton was reading the Zohar or what, 
but Milton's version, which is not accurate in my book, but um, is really echoes our theology, yeah. is that sin is born from Satan's mind, almost like Athena jumping out of Zeus's head. Yep. And like in the moment that he thinks about rebelling against God. Yeah. And then, you know, she's there and he becomes enamored with her and sort of ravishes her. Yep. And then he meets her again in hell and she has a son now, which is death. Yep. Um, so I think that that's really, really interesting as well. Um, yep. Also Baudelaire. Yep. Um, has a line in Litanies of Satan. Yep. Uh, who on your old and venerable mistress death begot that charming madcap hope? Yep. Which I would equate mistress death with Aishef personally. In that. Yep. Anyway. Um, so yeah, things that one can beget that aren't kids exactly. Yep. Also. Yep. Sex magic. Yes. Can be an act of begetting something that's not a child. Yep. Um, you know, one can be extremely reproductive yes. sexually in magical terms without making a baby. Yep. You know. Hmm. Sorry, I was thinking in a certain way. To me, the truly sterile is the divine androgene. Mm. Because, okay, so... Even if you have a god in three persons. A god in three persons. Sorry. Um, this is the singing one. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> like, it remains one god mm -hmm. because there's no difference in will. Yes. And the only thing, and you, and god cannot create anything equal but separate from. Yes. Which, if you think about it, is actually that's to me it's weird um yeah and this is also something i've been seeing in my freaking western esotericism class yeah. is this whoo this constant insistence that separation and individuation is the yeah. root of evil um and that yeah. Everything is supposed to return to the one. Yep. Which is God and also everything else. So it's yep. actually quite solipsistic, but in yeah. this way of like God being solipsistic. Yeah. And like it reminds me of, well, that thing that I may also have to edit this because I don't want to offend people, but is creepy about vegans to me. And also, like, certain kinds of liberals where they're both, like, that they're willing to, like, expunge life to avoid death. Like, it better something not be born than for it to die. Mm, so that accidentally sounded anti-abortion. <laughs> Which I know that you're not. No, I'm profoundly pro-choice. Um, no. Like, I guess more like the idea that, like, you know, best to just, like, kind of like the avoiding the messiness of life and that sort of, like, 
that well that desire for sort of um an end to time and time and to suffering and to all things Mm -hmm. and that kind of like return to unity and stillness yes because i think that what they fear ultimately more than death is change yes um and so like the idea of like perfection as stillness Mm -hmm. um perfection as changeless the unmoved mover yeah as a term for god yes yeah um and i i don't want to like yeah get back into my tangent about how i prefer a uh, polytheistic universe of yep. chaos that does not have one will yep. controlling everything but um yeah i i do prefer that and the divine androgene is scary because yeah that concept is very much in service to having one will one creator yeah you know just one ultimate that um yep and you know i don't mind having a creation myth i think because i have this weird belief that multiple things can certain types of thing multiple ones can be true that's true um yeah i don't i don't mind exactly i kind of just i guess i said that because i want it to be taken with a grain of salt yeah like no, I'm not sure that Lucifer and Aisheth created the universe. Yep. In a sense, it's almost like... <sighs> I like having that creation myth because I feel like we should kind of have our own. Yes. But also, <laughs> I don't... Yeah. And I think it's a... It's a beautiful way of stating things. Yeah. In, and, in a way, it's... I mean, it's really just talking about the Big Bang through yeah. our lens. Exactly. Which I think is very valid. Yeah. Um, but I about to say that yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the other creepy things about unity to me mm-hmm. um is that it's sort of this idea that well, sort of the only way to achieve like anything harmonious or like have affection for anything or peace or any mm-hmm. of that, um is to like absorb everything into both like yourself and something bigger than yourself god yeah exactly um well it's like when people are like okay so i'm at school in a unitarian seminary and they're very sweet but the sort of unitarian tactic for being able to hold multiple religious traditions together is to assume that it's all different names for the same thing. Yep. Which is like the the ground of all being is their yep. phrase. And um, I, as the resident Satanist, and a few of the other polytheists there are like, but we, we don't believe in one god that is the ground of all being. Yeah, no. And can you only... Can you only like people and tolerate people if you've found a way in which you're all the same? Yeah. Can't you just be like, you're completely different from me. And And that's cool. Yeah, no. And I think that, like, looking at one another in differentiation and, like, um, sort of having that, having that, I think, is more beautiful because it's... Yeah. yeah, 
what we, the only unity that happens then is unity by choice rather than unity by mm-hmm. like what unites is consent to unison rather than like yeah an assumption of homo- homogeneity mm-hmm. and like consent to unison and like you know thought out decision to participate or not even like unison uh so much as solidarity yeah, or cooperation yes yes yeah yeah or like i don't know the other day i, <laughs> I was thinking about the phrase we're all pink on the inside yeah and like yeah i guess we kind of are but what does that have to do with anything and like what if hypothetically you cut me open and i was green on the inside Which, would, would I... I not have value like it's yeah. just like the idea that the only thing that matters like you only matter if you're the same yes like it's creepy it is creepy it a denial of difference and like difference doesn't have to mean enmity mm-hmm. like we can relate to one another as separate different beings you know i i think that yeah some of this confusion uh-huh um and this need for unity in christianity yeah might actually come from the theology where they decided that evil comes from free will yep because that essentially like i know it's supposed to be kind of this nice thing about like well god wanted us to be able to choose you know salvation or sin freely although you know of course if you don't choose salvation you'll burn in hell forever which is a little coercive but never mind that but what that really does is it puts evil on our differences and our different wills and our yep. independence yep and yeah no to me that's hideous and of course like augustinian theology both features free will and predestination and you can't really freely choose god because your soul is so fucked up so, <laughs> so you have to like ask for gr- it's weird yeah it's weird there are like arguments and explanations for all of this and they're interesting and like philosophically important because they're hugely important to the history of western philosophy but also like fuck that it's a screwed up basis for things and the idea that there's only this sort of one right choice Mm. ultimately which is you know following the will of god the ultimate the one like I don't like that. I don't no. like the idea of like like we can be we can cooperate while being different mm-hmm. and having like different desires and you know things that we value most highly. And you know there are things that like aren't my highest value that I'm really glad are someone else's highest value. Yeah. And like like i'm i'm glad that there are people in the world prioritizing saving the pandas yep it's not the most important thing on my mind but thank fuck someone else is dealing with it because pandas need saving yep i might be more concerned with overthrowing capitalism for instance but But, like yeah we, we gotta yeah yeah and like you know, I, I was just thinking sort of like cooperation rather than conglomeration. Yeah. 
Um, we are kind of wandering from the topic of androgyny, even though it's all connected. Yes. But a, a way to bring it back. Um, yes. So, like, another interesting thing about infernal androgyny is it's actually infernal androgenies. Yes. And there's, like, different ways that that's pictured. Yep. Like, for instance, um, Aisheth, who is thought of as mostly female, but having a phallus. or. Yep. Samael, who's mostly male, but possibly not having a phallus, yep. or at the very least not testicles. Yep. Um, King Payman, who is male, but just, like, randomly has a woman's face. And is, as we know him, fairly effeminate. Yeah. Or um, Lilith, who we're not even quite sure what's going on there, but, you know, was created as both male and female, as Adam was before Eve was taken out of him. But yep. Lilith didn't have anything taken out of her, so who knows what she's like. But also, I think one of the things that's interesting about Lilith is she's a she. She is a she. She is not the subsumption of the... Yeah. Um, Which is, you know, God is referred to as he. Even though God's supposedly androgynous, but Lilith is androgynous and she's a she. Yep. Yeah. Um, Where, you know... Of course, Baphomet, which is, in our theology, kind of actually the unity of Lucifer and Aisheth. Yep. Um, you know, in becoming one again, heavily implied as through sex. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Lovely, divine, sexually weird embrace. Yes, very sexually weird. Yep. <laughs> So there's these, like, different images and yep. different types of androgyny, and there's a plurality of androgenies. Whereas the divine androgene is kind of this, like, disembodied thing that can't even really be pictured. Yep, yep, exactly. And, yeah, what was I gonna say? And as well, like, sort of, you know, places where, like, you can have, like, a lot of sort of traditional magical paradigms have like water is feminine and passive and like receptive mm -hmm. and it's like you know infernal androgyny is like you can be potently actively male and the receptive partner you can be you know anything any combination of things mm -hmm. um yeah though usually it doesn't really do passivity because fuck that yeah Passive is relative. Yes, but, yeah. All that we're saying is that Satan is verse. Yes. Very, very verse. And very pansexual. And very genderqueer. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah, no, it's lovely all the ways it can be expressed. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know... I mean, there's also this yeah. thing where, you know... You've got the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Yep. And then you've got Samael as the divine masculine and four divine feminines. Yep. Plus a bunch of other demons who aren't, you know, in that poly... Cool. Polycool. Um, <laughs> of yep. Satan and the consorts who are also androgynous and, you know, in different ways. Yep. Um... And also along with the androgyny, there's often, like, blending of human and animal attributes and yep. just all kinds of 
cuckoo crazy goodness. Yep. But yeah, the one thing they're generally not is they're not this idea of sort of whole and complete unto themselves and everyone else is pointless and unnecessary. No, they're, you know, and and they're not all the same. Like, yeah. if you picture angels up in heaven, they're kind of like, well, you know, have your thrones and dominions and powers and seraphim and cherubim or whatever, but they're only kind of different by group. Yeah. And overall, they're all just kind of these, like, multi-winged automatons that are singing praises all day. Yeah. Whereas demons are like, well, this guy is a lion's head with a wheel of goat legs. Yep. <laughs> and, uh... This one appears as a beautiful woman, but we're using he pronouns for it, and, like... Yeah, He no. pronouns for him, I'm sorry. You know, like, yep. it's just all kinds of... Lots of shape-shifting. Yep. Lots of shape-shifting. But, yeah, no. Tons of shape-shifting, tons of... And, like... Just, like, weird diversity. Yeah. You know, flip through... Um, an illustrated grimoire, you know, look mm -hmm. up some illustrations of Goetia, and there's just, like... Yeah. There's all kinds of shit going on. Yeah. And, like, you know, I'm thinking about the origin of love, which is, you know, it's originally from uh, Ovid's Metamorphosis, if I... the idea. No. Oh. It's from, um... What is it called? Symposium. Oh. Yeah, it's a Plato symposium, and it's um I think Aristophanes okay. tells the story. Um, okay, cause yeah, I know it's all it's also in the Metamorphosis, though, right? Um, I'm not as familiar with Metamorphosis. It might be. I'm pretty sure it started in the yeah. Plato text, though. Fair enough. I mean, we'll yeah check our sources later and give you a correction if we're wrong. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about. How, you know, it's kind of played as a tragedy, but to me, the, sort of the birth of love and the birth of, like, yeah, is mm -hmm. actually sort of, that's the gift we get from not being a big, undifferentiated blob. It's also not, like... Aristophanes is the comedian. Yes. And this is the dialogue he's giving, and it's poignant, but it's also, like, yeah. it's his, like, funny, weird idea yes. about gender and sexuality and the origin of it. And yeah. so it's it's got kind of this, like, droll sweetness Yes. Um, in the symposium. Exactly. So. Yeah. Hmm. And now a short pause while we stare at each other sappily. Have we mentioned on the podcast that we call Vix my rib? Yep. Because we're... Weirdly similar. Weirdly similar. <laughs> and because I'm like a little bit younger. Yeah. So we, we had to figure out who was whose rib and thus yeah. we concluded that since I'm a year older, Vix was my rib. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how my rib ended up in New York while I was in California, but, you know. Eh. You know, <laughs> these things happen. Yeah. 
Well, we're coming up uh, pretty close to an hour here. Yep. And um, do you want to wind it up? Um, I th- I don't think we have anything further to say on the subject. I'm sure we have further things to say on the I subject. I meant for now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Um, Crap. I did not think of a satanic backwards message. Well. Hmm. Okay, I have one. Okay.
One snare, snare. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Yep. We will catch you next time, and hopefully it'll be soon because this computer actually works functions and is not a weird forgery of a MacBook like the last one. Yes. Tried to get possibly. <laughs> yep. Who knows what was going on with that? Um, you know, uh, I'll check us out. Uh, email us at Morningstar Congregation or. Speak of the Devil Podcast 666. At gmail.com for both of those. Yep. Um, find us on Facebook at Speak of the Devil Satanic Podcast. Mm -hmm. Twitter, Speak of the Dev, which I need to update. Um, and, of course, on Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, and review us because it really does help. And please help us spread the word of Satan. This has been Speak of the Devil, the official podcast of the Church of the Morning Star, which is now actually a church. And uh, the music is, as always, by the wonderful band Electric Mirrors. Um, check them out on Bandcamp. Cool. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. All right.